On this week's episode of the Crimson Corner Podcast, Joey and Katie meet up with Alabama head softball coach Patrick Murphy and discuss his background, the growth of Crimson Tide softball, and how he discovered the mind state of Medita. It's the Crimson Corner Podcast, a part of the Bama Central Podcast Network. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, whatever the case may be, and welcome to the Crimson Quarter Podcast, a part of the Bama Central Podcast Network. I am your host, Joey Blackwell, alongside Katie Windham. We have a really, um, what I consider to be a great show today. Uh, we have Alabama head softball coach Patrick Murphy in a in an interview where he um, talks about um, his his um, not just his development, but the growth of Alabama softball since his uh, almost 30 years um, with the Crimson Tide. Um, Katie, before we get into that interview, first off, how are you doing? And, you know, um, what are your thoughts about, you know, you have a lot of dealings with Patrick Murphy, you being the primary softball beat writer. What is what has been your experience with with Murph and, and you know, just just the, the job that he's done at Alabama so far? Yeah, I'm doing great, Joey. Uh, like you said, this is now my third season covering softball, so I have had a lot of interactions with Patrick Murphy, Murphy over the last couple of years. But hopefully, as we get into this interview, we'll get to learn a little bit more about him and his journey to Alabama and um, how he's gotten to build up this program that you know has hundreds of thousands of followers on social media and <laughs> sells out season tickets year after year and. Um, has won a national title, a bunch of SEC championships, and made lots of trips to the Women's College World Series. And so um, he's one of the greatest coaches of all time in the sport of softball and as, an, as a Hall of Famer in, in Alabama. And I'm sure we'll be in some other softball Hall of Fame soon as well. As Katie just mentioned, uh, Murph was um, inducted into the Alabama Sports Hall of Fame last year, um, which I think alone is a testament to how um, big the sport of softball has grown. Um, on top of that, he just passed a huge career milestone with 1,200 um, wins over the course of his career. So without further ado, we will get right into it. Here is our interview with Patrick Murphy. Take a listen. We are so excited today to be joined by Alabama softball head coach Patrick Murphy. Murph, how are you doing today? I'm good. Thanks for having me on. I really appreciate it. Yeah, coming off a 5 to nothing win over Southern Miss Wednesday night while basketball is winning the SEC. It's just a, another another night in Tuscaloosa with a lot going on and more oh, winning. It was uh, awesome because I think we ended about 7.45-ish, and um, we had a little team meeting, and then all of a sudden we hear all these screaming, and some of the support staff was in our uh, lobby of our uh, clubhouse where the TV is. And then all of a sudden now you've got 35 people, um, 20 players with uniforms on, all the coaching staff, everybody. Uh, and luckily for us, the game went into overtime and we got to see the the five minutes and scream and yell and really happy for everybody um, with men's basketball. And, you know, they're down the hallway um, from me and Coleman Coliseum. So it's been really, really um, exciting this year. And, you know, what a what a resilient group. So kudos to them. Yeah, for sure. So um, as we now get more to you, we, we've heard a lot. We hear a lot on broadcasts about NATO's stories as a high school math teacher just a couple years ago and then moving to D1 assistant and then head coach. But when I was doing a little research on you last night, um, you were it was talking about you were, a, a, I think, a college softball assistant while also simultaneously coaching high school baseball in Iowa. So if you don't mind giving us a little bit of um, how, how that was happening at the yes. same time and then how that kind of led to your journey of being a D1 softball head coach and starting Alabama and then becoming the head coach at Alabama. Well, I went to uh, college at the University of Northern Iowa and it's a teacher's college. It's got a really, really good teaching education and then also business school. That's what they're known for. And I thought I'd be a teacher and a coach for 40, 45 years and um, enjoy life in Iowa. And, and um, my senior year, I was the SID, sports information director for softball. And I really, really enjoyed it. And I thought, you know what, maybe, maybe become an SID at a, at a college and go to grad school. And I tried to find schools that were completely different than Northern Iowa. And the one that I settled on was Louisiana Lafayette. And they gave me a heck of a good deal. They paid for everything and then $200 a month. And I thought I was rich. I didn't have a car. <laughs> I literally flew down there um, with three suitcases and that was wow. it. But in Iowa, 
Iowa high school baseball and softball play in the summer. It's the only state that still does it. And softball starts around May 30th. Baseball starts around June 1st. So you play a very quick season, month and a half, maybe, and you shove all these games into that time. And then the state tournament starts. And around August 1st, it's the end of the season. And um, it literally forces a young uh, lady or gentleman to either say, yes, I'm going to play high school baseball or no, I'm going to work work and go on vacation or go to basketball mm -hmm. camps. Mm -hmm. And it, it's very difficult. And I, here I am, I'm 22 years old. And my, my senior captain of the first team that I coach is 18. Wow. Um, it was the best time of my life. I absolutely loved it. It was a great group. It was a small rural Iowa, uh, Northeast Iowa town called Sumner. And to this day, I'm still friends with all of them. Uh, we have a group text message that we go back and forth and they, you know, all said congrats on the 1200 wins last week. And I sent them pictures of every, anything and everything Alabama. And it's, it's a really, really cool relationship. So that's how I did both. So I, and then I get to Louisiana Lafayette and the assistant softball coach quits right before school started. And the head coach, who's uh, one of the all-time greats in college softball, Yvette Girard, I think she's in about seven Hall of Fames. She hears or finds out that I had coached one summer of high school baseball and I was qualified to walk and chew gum at the same time. <laughs> and I could hit a fungo and um, we hit it off. She took me out to eat pizza one night and I thought we were just getting to know each other. And at the very end of the, the dinner, she said, how about another duty? And I said, sure, what is it? And she said, my assistant coach, $6,000 part-time, no benefits. What do you think? What did you Six thousand dollars. I was like, "Holy shit, that's a lot of money!" And um, I didn't, you know, like I said, I didn't even have a car. And so I was like, "Yeah, I'll do that." So I was writing my thesis, going to class, working for sports information, and coaching softball. And one of my other sports was volleyball. So all fall, I would go to every volleyball match and score their stuff, and then go to softball practice and back and forth and. Um, you could do that when you were really, really young. And um, I had a great boss in the sports information office to this day, still one of the best guys, and then Yvette. And so at the end of the softball season, I was part-time. So I was only paid nine months out of the year. And I had this high school baseball gig in Iowa. And I said, is it okay? And she said, sure, you're not getting paid here. Mm -hmm. Go home. So the last day of this, I have my car or uh Car, and I did have a Mazda eventually, but uh, I would drive home to Iowa and coach high school baseball for two months and then drive back to Louisiana. And I did that for five summers. Wow. Wow. Yeah. So, um, and at the time in college softball, Katie, there was no home runs. There was not an offensive game at all. The bat stunk. The ball was lousy. It's like hitting a potato. <laughs> and um, we literally, at the field at Louisiana Lafayette, we hit one home run in a year over the fence. And then I'd, I'd go home to high school baseball and watch the ball fly out in the mm -hmm. cornfields. And I got my defensive fix in college softball, and then I got my offensive fix in high school baseball in Iowa, and then I'd do it again. But uh, I'd never change it for the world. It was just great experiences of both high school baseball and obviously my start in softball at Louisiana Lafayette. Yeah, needless to say, the game has changed a little bit. Also, I learned there, um, you walked so Nathan Sheehan can run. For people that don't know, he's the volleyball and softball SID at Alabama. So That's true. Maybe maybe there's coaching in his career. Yeah, that would be wild. <laughs> you never know. Coach Sheehan. Yeah. Well, you ask him that in the next game you come to. I will. I'm definitely going to bring it up. Um, so you're in Louisiana, which is obviously a change of scenery from Iowa, but then you end up at Alabama, right? You've been here since this is team 27, not the head coach the whole time, but since the start of the program. So kind of how did that, uh, transition come about? So the SEC started softball conference wide, uh, around 96 and I applied everywhere. And, um, the only school I heard from was from Alabama. And um, they had a head coach, but they were looking for two assistants. And um, I took the one assistant coach job and I'd never really been to Alabama. I obviously watched football. I knew Joe Namath, I knew football, um, but I'd never been here. And um, the first, my first day in Alabama, uh, I was checking into the hotel capstone, which is 
I'm sitting in my office in Coleman Coliseum and I can literally look across the street at the Bryant Museum, which is kind of near that hotel. But I don't remember what it was called then, but the hotel was there and I'm checking in and there's a gentleman that's checking out and I can't see his face, but I can hear his voice. And I was like, I know, I know that person. I know that person. I was like, who the hell is this person? And he kept talking and this was, you know, spring of 96 and he had an entourage you know, at the time, I didn't know what the hell an entourage was, but he had one and he had three suitcases and golf clubs and you name it. And, and he, I heard him say, hey, we'll see you in the fall to the desk clerk. And he grabbed his golf clubs and he turned around and I was like, holy buckets. It was Joe Namath. Wow. I could not, I could not believe it. I, I mean, my jaw hit the floor and um, the gentleman that was checking me in, who was an assistant AD at the time, John Gilbert, who's now the athletic director at East Carolina University. I look at him and I said, I'll do this for free. <laughs> and he kind of smiled and I was, thank God they didn't take me up on it, but um, it was just, I couldn't believe it. Um, and obviously I took the job and, and then two years later, uh, I got the head job in July of the summer of 98. And it's the rest is history, I guess. Yeah, for sure. Whoever whoever was taking your calls at Alabama or decided to take a chance was the smart man or woman in that situation. I'm sure the other SEC schools may be uh, kicking themselves now. But you talked about, um, you know, I was your home and clearly you still have a lot of connections there and people there, but then Alabama has been your home for the last, you know, nearly three decades. And um, a big part for you, it seems like, is supporting other teams as well. And I've talked to Sarah Patterson about this in the past and just how important that was to her. Was she kind of a, a model for you in that? And why has it been so important for you to kind of make Alabama your home and not just be a champion of softball, but all sports here at UA? Oh, definitely. And, you know, call it the championship hallway. And it's the third floor of Coleman Coliseum. And at one end is gymnastics and the other end is Nate and the basketball and sprinkle it in between is golf, golf, soccer, and softball. And, um, you know, when Sarah wins, it's like, I don't, I don't really feel the, I didn't feel the pressure, but I was like, I wanted to do that as well. And um, I can remember when we won our first SEC championship in 2006, the first person I heard from was her. And uh, I, I felt like this, okay, cool. I finally belong in the hallway. And, you know, Mick and Jay won national championships. Sarah won national championships. Nate's doing great. And then Wes, this fall, he wins the SEC championship. And, you know, that night when he won, I, I was at the soccer match when they beat Florida and clinched it. And he, we gave each other a big hug. And he's like, I, yes, I'm, I, I belong in the hallway. And, <laughs> It's just really cool uh, fraternity of really good people. And I feel like right now the the entire um, coaching staff at Alabama, um, from Coach Saban across the way to Nate and Christy and George and Jenny and Tennis and everybody, Dan Waters is doing a hell of a job with track. Uh, you know, and when I go speak to the different teams, I always say to all of them, there's no jealousy among the coaching staffs. If one team wins, we all win. Because when soccer has a good year in the fall, they're looking, think of all the publicity and media coverage that you guys gave them this fall because they were doing well. That helps all of us because there's a kid out there that might be a really, really good soccer player, but her sister might be a really good softball player. And because the soccer team did well, the little sister is going to see Alabama, Alabama, and then think, well, why not softball at Alabama? And then look us up and say, wow. They're good in softball too. So if one team wins, we all win. And I think, you know, obviously football drives the bus mm -hmm. and everything filters down, but it's, it's a great time to be here. And the fraternity is really close. I think that's uh, probably one of the best parts of the job because, you know, Christie's in uh, Greenville, South Carolina today. And this is another little tidbit for you guys. You know, Jackie Trainer was named one of the SEC legends, and they do this every year at the SEC women's basketball and men's. But obviously, the female athletes are in Greenville, and Jackie was chosen. So 2012, you know, national champion. And the first person I hear from is from Christy Curry. I didn't even know Jackie had gotten the award. Christy Curry called me and said, hey, I see Jackie Trainer is going to be in Greenville with us. Mm -hmm. She said us. 
and um, she wanted to know her sizes. She was going to invite her to dinner last night with the Alabama basketball team dinner before they played. Um, so yesterday, here comes all these pictures from Jackie Traina from Greenville. Yeah. And so they adopted her for the couple of days that she would be there. And then she, I think she gets announced um, tonight at halftime of the Alabama-Kentucky uh, game. How have you seen women's sports and obviously softball in specific kind of grow since you got to Tuscaloosa? I'll give you another story. Uh, it was 2006 SEC championship, the first one we'd ever won. And Stephanie, then Brakel was our, our pitcher that year. And as the uh, tradition holds, if you win an SEC championship at Alabama, you get presented at halftime or a quarter break at a football game. And we had some come so close so many years. We lose it by one game at the end. And, um, so anyway, we went in 2006. We get at halftime of the football team or the football game. We, we go out on the 50-yard line and we get presented in front of 100,000 people. And the, the roar of the crowd is unbelievable. And it's, you know, I looked at everybody and I was like, everything, it's worth it right now. Because of this, it's worth it. So as we're walking off, I think to myself, what percentage of 100,000 is the Rhodes House? And at the time, the Rhodes House only held 1,600. And uh, one of the smarter young ladies on the team was in front of me. So I tapped her on the shoulder and I said, hey, what percentage, 1,600 versus 100,000, what is it? And she goes, that's like less than 1%. She, she's like, it's nothing. And I said, oh, okay. And I thought, if I can't get less than 1% of all these 100,000 screaming, rabid, Roll Tide fans to come watch my team, which was a winning team, they need to get rid of me. And I, I just really felt like we needed to make a difference. And um, I never wanted to be a black hole of money of a sport, you know, and a lot of times you don't, you don't get anything in return. Mm -hmm. And I didn't want that. So we'd sold tickets. Yes. But I thought, okay, this is now, now's the time to take advantage of our popularity, our recognition and really go for the season ticket. So we made a goal that year of 250. We sold 500. The next year we set 750. We sold a thousand. And year after year after year, we, we tried to up the ante. And the last two years now, it's been 3,200 season tickets. And we have stopped because we would sell the whole place out. But that would mean like, if your sister wants to come to a game and she walks up, it's sold out. And I didn't want that. So there's about 750 tickets at each game available on either game day or the week of the game. Just that in itself tells you how far the, the sport of softball has grown. I mean, it, it is unbelievable with television coverage, media coverage, the the ability of the athletes. You know, we uh, when we went to Clearwater uh, last week or two weeks ago, there was a gentleman in the airport in Birmingham and he recognized some of the girls and he comes and sits down and says, you know, I never really watched it until like two years ago. and he said the athleticism of all the, the young ladies on the teams just blew him away. And for me, it's the closest to our male counterpart, which is baseball. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, obviously the pitching motion is different, but everything else, you can throw strikeouts, you can throw a runner out, you can throw a runner out from the plate at the plate from center field. You can hit a home run, you can hit a triple, you can steal a base, all those things. And the cool part about it is softball is you're literally on top of the, the field because our backstop from home plate to the backstop is 25 feet. You are close to the action. Any seat, you're right there. I mean, they can hear me yell at the umpire. Anything they want to hear, they can hear it. And they so can crowd. yell at the umpire too. True. And I think the, the intimacy of the crowd and the relationship um, is one of the coolest things about softball. You're right on top of the action. And I, I, I feel like the fans take ownership in that and especially at our place because I've never seen anything like the back and forth between our fans and our team like they'll get us jacked up and then we'll hit a home run or the opposite we'll do something good and they'll they'll explode and the give and take among our fans and our team is just really special how much has you talked about tv coverage a little bit but I'm not even just talking about the fact that, you know, you have the big games like against Florida State on ESPN at night on a Sunday or 
um, last year when Oklahoma and someone played on ABC. Oh, yeah, Washington. Um, yeah. But the fact that now every home game is – you can watch it some way. And, you know, there were some people complaining last weekend because they think it was a one-camera setup. Like, I remember growing up in, like, 2008 – I remember being excited if there was one game of the Georgia series on TV and like, I would be sure to watch that game, you know? So how much has kind of TV coverage helps the game take off? Oh, unbelievable. And, you know, like my mom is sitting um, in Cedar Falls, Iowa, and she'll get to watch 22 games live. Uh, and of course she gets the SEC network, but um, it's the reach is unreal. Like, you know, I'll get letters and cards and notes and, messages from people all over the country and uh they you know they fall in love with a team just like people in alabama fall in love with the dallas cowboys or whatever nfl team or the yankees is a really good example there's yankee fans everywhere and now there's alabama softball fans everywhere uh you know there was this couple in delaware that fell in love with our program and asked for um um it was an anniversary and the wife had called or emailed me and said, is there any chance for tickets for this series? Wow. I'm going to surprise um, my husband for a trip to the Rhodes house. And I mean, it, it's stuff like that just blows you away when you hear from people. Or, you know, I hear from coaches all over the country that they want to know where I get my vests. Because <laughs> they coach high school football and they're like, I can't find a vest like yours anywhere. Um, but they saw us on TV. Mm -hmm. That's how they found it. So it's, it, uh, really blows you away when you, um, like, you know, one year I went to the, um, Derek Jeter's last series in Boston and I'm in Boston and I'm covered with Red Sox stuff. I'm, I'm not a Yankees fan. I love, <laughs> I love Jeter, did not like the Yankees and all my Yankees friends know that. But so I'm in the, this hotel, downtown Boston, Red Sox shirt, Red Sox hat. I get in and the um, one of the bellhops comes in with a ton of luggage and we're in the elevator and I'm going up and he looks at me and he goes, are you Patrick Murphy? <laughs> and I, I'm, I'm looking everywhere on me like, do I have Alabama anywhere? And I, I said, yes, sir. I said, are you talking Patrick Murphy, the softball coach? And he said, <laughs> I thought that was you. And um, he'd watch us on TV and I'm like, oh my God, this stuff is crazy. So it, it really does just blow your mind when that happens. Well, last week when we had Bo on, he said when he and his wife first moved here, they were walking their dog in their neighborhood. And one of their dog's names is Murphy. And somebody asked him, they said, is this after Patrick Murphy? And he said, who's that? He just, <laughs> he said, is that oh after Murphy? <laughs> but, I could have said yes. <laughs> yeah, no, no, don't worry. He, he He's well aware of um, softball now, but that first week. But that shows that, you know, the local reach for sure. Everyone thinks they hear Murphy. They're like, oh, that's got to be after Patrick Murphy. But <laughs> Well, coach, speaking of speaking of baseball, you know, last year I did a story about the word Madita and how it means a lot to the baseball team last year. But obviously the, the word has become synonymous with with softball and, and your program. Just talk about the importance of that word, you know, for you as a coach and you as a program and how that came about and just the history behind that word and its association with Alabama softball. Oh, it's it's the reason why we won for 27 years. And what I used to say before I knew the word was if you can be as happy for a teammate's success as if you did it yourself, the sky's the limit. Okay. Mm -hmm. And I would say it over and over and over and over every team meeting, you name it. And it was December of 2013. I found a book called help to helper. And you guys know that's a basketball term where mm -hmm. I'm guarding somebody and I, somebody else gets burned. I have to help that person but then there's somebody else that has to help the helper and it just kind of goes along um it's a business basketball book uh by a business person and the trailblazers one of the trailblazers executives from uh, portland but it's a great book and probably the third chapter was on um, servant leadership and one of the paragraphs started out and it said having vicarious joy in someone else's success in other words Mudita. And I shot up in bed and I was like, oh my God, there's a word for what I've been trying my team to do. 
So I got <laughs> on my phone, I looked it up, and I was like, there it is, Mudita, having vicarious joy in someone else's success. I couldn't believe it. Um, I researched this. I've tried to find as much as I could about it. And it's a uh, Buddhist and Sanskrit. It's, there's not an English word that equals it. Nothing. And that's also kind of cool to me. There are two words that are the opposite in the English language. And I, I guarantee you guys could both guess is jealousy and envy. Mm-hmm. And those two words are dirty words in a team sport. Because mm-hmm. if Katie and Joey are you're competing for the same spot, you're both shortstops, and Katie wins the job. I don't want you to be jealous of her. I want you to be as happy for her success as if you did it yourself. And it's mm-hmm. one of the toughest things to do. Believe me, you guys probably know that already. In any workplace, there's jealousy and envy everywhere. But if there isn't, it's probably the most pleasant place you'll ever work at. Right? Yeah. And on a team, if you can get rid of jealousy and envy, it is heaven. So um, I told the team, uh, the first meeting back, um, it was uh, January 14, and Jordan Patterson was on the team that year. And mm-hmm. we used to make these uh, big, thick rubber bracelets. And I know you guys can see this, but your listeners can't. But this was after we won the national championship, and it's a black bracelet with finished it on it. Well, Jordan bought the bracelets that year for the team, and she put Mudita on it. Mm-hmm. And um, she said, you know, attached to each bracelet, that said Mudita was a, a little note from her that said, I cannot think of a better word that describes our program than this. This is a family um, atmosphere. This is a family word and we're gonna live Mudita. And and then it just took off from there. And it, you know, the other thing cool about it is in Buddhism, they consider it one of the four immeasurable qualities that you can have as a human being. Now think about that. They're saying mm-hmm. that it is immeasurable to have the quality of Mudita. And to me, that's just like mind blowing how important they think that quality is. So there was a a young man on the baseball team, Tommy Seidel that um, joined last year and he's a transfer from Harvard and his hitting coach from Boston is a buddy of mine. So he texted me and said, hey dude, my boy Tommy's coming to play at Alabama. You gotta look after him. And I said, no problem. And so, Like the first week of school, we texted each other and Tommy said, hey, when can I come look at your facilities? And I said, today. And he said, okay. So he comes over to softball and I, you know, I shook his hand. I was like, dude, I've never met a Harvard grad. This is kind of cool. <laughs> and um, so he comes into the clubhouse and if Katie knows, but Joey, I don't know if you've been in our clubhouse, but the one of mm-hmm. the main balls is Mudita. Mm-hmm. And Tommy says, hey, what's that? And so I explain it to him. And then flash forward four months, five months, and he sends me a picture of his glove for last season. And he has embroidered Mudita on his um, name line on his glove, wow. which is really cool. And then yeah. you write that great story. So um, <laughs> honestly, when I go to coaches clinics, it's the number one thing people ask me about. Wow. Not hitting, not fielding, not throwing, not pitching. How do you get Mugita in a team? And it doesn't matter what sport either. I spoke to the um, uh, college golf coaches in Vegas uh, two years ago at their convention, and they all asked about it. So when you can get it, and you can get it, it it, beca- it just creates this special atmosphere. And um, I spoke to an NAIA baseball team preseason, and um, the assistant coach texted me yesterday, and he said, Coach, I've never, ever experienced this. It is the most fun to coach this group. Um, they're full of Mudita. And um, and I hope it lasts because, you know, in 19, we had it. In 21, we had it. Uh, the year we won the national championship, 100%. 14, when we played for the national championship, 100% had it. Uh, I think our men's basketball team has it. You know, and you look at a kid like Javon Quinterly who, you know, maybe struggled a little bit, maybe didn't play as much as he thought he might. But at the end, mm-hmm. look who's the hero last night. Right. And I yeah. think you see that if you watch the highlights. Yeah, I was going to say, 
when you something you said about as happy for your teammate as you are as if it was you know Gurley basically said that exact same thing in a press conference a couple weeks ago about because his minutes have gone way down as a sixth year and talking about he's as happy for Rylan Griffin as if it was him so I think yeah we're definitely seeing that over there but we're kind of running up against the clock here Murph and we appreciate your time but before we wrap up um real quick just to get some thoughts on um, the season sitting at 12 and three now, like I said earlier, coming off the shutout win over Southern Miss the midweek, saw some power from Jenna Johnson. Um, just kind of where you feel like this team's at heading into the last couple of weeks of non-conference play. We need to finish really strong at home. So we have five games, hopefully this weekend. I hope the weather clears up, but um, it looks like we're going to have to practice inside today, but that's fine. But we need to take care of business at home. And, you know, you know me, the team knows me, but one of my biggest pet peeves is when we lose at home. It just drives me nuts. We do have the best fans in college softball, and we need to take advantage of it every single time we're at home. So we have these um, five games, then we have Western Michigan on next Tuesday, and then we go to UAB. So we have um, a really good opportunity next weekend as well. We got Texas twice. We got Texas State, and we have a really good Wisconsin team. So all four of those games will be NCAA participant quality teams. So it could get us into a really good um, mode before we start SEC play. But we need to take care of business and you know every game do something a little bit better. So I, I, I don't believe you don't stay the same. You either get better, or you get worse. So we need to do things that make us better. And sometimes you know we need to create our own luck on offense. And maybe that's my job too about hit and run or slap and run or even a squeeze because that that gets everybody's excited so um our goal is to press the issue this weekend so we're going to be aggressive um the other teams pitch pretty well and there's not somebody that really walks a ton so i always look at that stat first because if i'm going to hit and run i need a strike mm-hmm. you know the pitcher can't be throwing it everywhere and then you know she throws a rise ball over somebody's head and we get thrown out at second so mm-hmm. If it's somebody that throws a lot of strikes, that's when you, you know, roll the dice and hit and run or squeeze. Um, but where our defense needs to continue, like you said, Jenna Johnson had a great at-bat. Bailey Dowling had a great at-bat um, with her double with two outs, but she also hit the ball hard the other two times. So um, we're still trying to kind of see who's going to be the most consistent kid. So these five games are going to help us um, with that, I hope. Awesome. I'll be there out there on Friday and Sunday, I think, covering it. Bama Central will have all the softball coverage this weekend. But again, Murph, we thank you for coming on. Thank you for your time and um, always enjoy talking with you. Hey, thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. And thanks for all the coverage. Seriously, it's it means a lot, not only to me, the sport, but also to the girls. Of course. That was Alabama softball head coach Patrick Murphy. Uh, Katie, first off, great job quarterbacking uh, that interview. <laughs> Took the vast majority of questions, but regardless of who asked the question, I think it was a great interview. Really, a lot of in-depth um, answers from Murph, and hopefully, our listeners, you know, have a have a better understanding of just exactly who Murph is and his background, and just his his passion and, and dedication to the sport of softball at Alabama. For sure. Yeah. He always has interesting stories. Um, I learned a lot of stuff in the beginning of that interview that I did not know about Merv, including the fact that he was an SID. Uh, for those listeners, <laughs> that know, those are sports information directors. So those are the people that coordinate media availabilities, press conferences, do press releases, are in charge of the social media accounts for the teams, all that kind of stuff, which obviously back when he was an SID, there were no social media accounts, but <laughs> they do that kind of stuff. They keep the stats, like he said. So um, I thought that was interesting. And really, you know, it, it's crazy that he went from somebody just took a chance on him as an assistant softball coach. He sends out his letters to all the SEC school or letters. I don't know if he did that. He reached out to all the SEC schools and they launched softball. And Alabama's the one that, you know, responded back. And then here we are three decades later with, you know, he's won 1,200 games, won multiple SEC regular season and tournament titles, won a national championship, taking the team to uh, OKC a lot. And I think it was – he gave a little interesting insight too where he said that, you know, the 2019 team had Mudita, 2021 had Mudita – he did not, you know, talk about last year's team, which a lot of people were kind of left with questions about after they yeah. season ended prematurely in regionals. So I think he, he likes where this team's at despite some early season struggles. Um, but yeah, I thought it was a interesting interview for sure. Hope people yeah, and, and 
Yeah. And as Katie said, um, during the interview, Alabama softball has started the season 12 and three, um, which is a couple of more wins since last we talked on this uh, podcast. Actually, I think it might just be, uh, no, yeah, there's a couple of more wins and, and a loss to Kennesaw State, but overall um, a really solid start for them. Um, they do have some, uh, some, hopefully some wins coming up on in the T-Mobile Crimson Classic this weekend. They will be um, hosting again. They'll be playing Robert Morris, then Longwood each two games apiece, and then they'll be um, playing on Sunday and Big Al's Kids Club's Day um, against Mercer Sunday at one o'clock. Um, so that'll 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 do it for about for softball right about now. Let's shift over to another thing that uh, Murph was one of the first things he brought up was this Alabama basketball team on Wednesday night. Alabama basketball was able to overcome a 17 point deficit with just under 10 minutes left in the game to come back and beat Auburn in overtime 90 to 85. Um, not only was it, of course, a, did it complete a season sweep um, of the Tigers, but also it completed a perfect 15-0 record at home in Coleman Coliseum for Alabama basketball. And as if that also wasn't enough, clinched the regular season SEC title um, for the Crimson Tide. So a remarkable season just keeps on getting, uh, keeps on rolling. Excuse me, Katie. Um, I know you were there last night. I was also there last night. Um, Let's start with, before we get into the X's and O's, let's talk about the environment that was Coleman Coliseum last night. Just how impressed were you? Because I've been going out on basketball games for a couple of decades now. That was probably the loud, actually, no, it wasn't even probably, it was the loudest um, consistently I've ever heard that, that, uh, that arena. What's wild is like, you know, before the game starts, the place is ready to explode. But really for the first like 30 minutes of the game, it mm-hmm. wasn't that loud in there because there was not a lot to cheer about for Alabama mm-hmm. fans. Like anytime they had a little bit of momentum, well, you know, obviously they came out slow. Um, They're down seven to two. They fought the Auburn wins opening tip scores a three on the opening possession and Alabama's behind the entire first half. Um, mm-hmm. And that deficit would kind of grow. And then, you know, right out of the gate, the second half, they come out strong. They tie it up. I think at 42, 42, it gets really loud in there. And then Auburn goes on that big run and builds lead back up. So for most of the game, the crowd, it's not that they didn't want to cheer. There just wasn't a ton to cheer about. Um, yeah. And they would try and get in it. And then like Auburn would hit a, you know, crazy shot or something. So, but then, yeah, the last um, probably eight minutes of regulation and all of overtime was probably the loudest I've ever heard Coleman. Um, just a great crowd. The student section, you know, obviously had um, filled up well before tip off uh, the Crimson Chaos students were lining up early to get inside. And so it was definitely a big crowd in there. And those last, you know, couple possessions for Auburn on defense, it, I, I mean, I'm sure it was hard for them to hear because it was mm. that loud in there. It, it sounded like a football game, not to bring up football, <laughs> We're talking about basketball, but uh, it really did. Yeah, you know, a lot of people give, um, not the, never the student section, it's never the student section, but a lot of people give the the rest of the fans a little bit of flack um, for not wanting to stand up, for not being responsive to what's going on on the court. Um, as much as, you know, the bogs, the basketball only gumps, you know, would like to see or the, or the student section would like to see. But for those final 10 minutes of the game, pretty much nobody sat down um, for the overtime period. Almost nobody sat down like it was a very raucous environment, um, something that I will never forget, you know, being there to see in person. Um, and, you know, Oates talked about after the game how much it meant to them being able to cut down the nets in Coleman this year, not just because they beat Auburn, but because it was inside Coleman. That really meant a lot to them because obviously in 2021, um, they had to they they clinched the SEC regular season title um, in Starkville and came back to, of course, a lot of fans. Um, I covered that event, you know, standing outside of Coleman to see the bus drive up. And there were a lot of fans there, but that's just not the same as being able to, you know, clinch it in your arena, you know, to not see confetti fall, but see the confetti fall on, on the, uh, on the billboard <laughs> you know, and be able to celebrate with the home crowd. So I know it meant a lot to them. You know, let's, let's dive into a little bit of X's and O's. Um, Javon Quinterly, um now 40 points over the course of his last two games. Now um, 24 points last night, really carried the team on his back and, and kind of led just what was a key leadership role, played a key leadership role in the comeback. Um, six assists, two rebounds. Um, I think he had he had no turnovers and three steals, which no turnovers for a point guard is is a rarity. Um, and you know, turnovers have been something that JQ has been criticized for this year, something that I've criticized him for, something that a lot of something that a lot of people have. Um, 
but he really took care of the basketball last night and really made a lot of clutch plays that kept Alabama, not just kept Alabama in the game, but was a primary reason and why they were able to come back and, and win um, around, you know, the rest of the team, um, Miller, Clowney and Brad, I'm sorry, Miller, Miller, Clowney and Sears all were second with 17 points. Um, Clowney had eight rebounds really quietly. Clowney was also a crucial factor in last night's game. Nobody really talked about him that much because obviously the spotlight was on Quinterly and, um, Miller for multiple reasons, but Clowney had one of his best games probably this calendar year so far. He really, really had a, a solid outing. Um, but my my main question for you is this, Katie. This is I wouldn't I wouldn't call this a slump for Alabama basketball because they've still been finding ways to win. But what I would say is they've really been struggling beyond the arc over these past few games, but they've still been able to find ways to win. How you know, I I I don't want to say the word encouraging, but I, I I will. How encouraging is that to see this team continue to put W's in the win column despite you know their shooters not being able to to hit threes at the at the clip that they're used to seeing them drop at. Yeah, I mean, I think it shows that this team has multiple ways to win, but I think it also you know it is encouraging that they've been able to fight through adversity, you know, at South Carolina, they're down, they come back, they win in overtime last night, they're down or on Wednesday night against Auburn. They're down a lot and are able to come back. But I also think at a certain point, they need to get to a point where <laughs> they're not falling behind. I was listening to a little bit of the uh, post-game Twitter space, not live, but I went back and listened to some of it. And they were talking about, you know, from this point on out, since Alabama's already clinched, you basically need to have the mindset of one and done. Like, there's no Mm -hmm. more extra games after this. It's like, which, I mean, there are. After the A&M game Saturday, there is the SEC tournament. And after the SEC tournament, there is the NCAA tournament. But once you're in that tournament setting of the SEC, if you lose, you're done in there. And, like, your chances of winning the SEC tournament title are over. So, anyway – you don't want to consistently get behind big once you're in tournament play, even though I guess two years ago, I think in that semifinal game against Tennessee, um, it wasn't a deficit as large as against Auburn on Wednesday night, but it was 16. It was almost as yeah, large. It was pretty big. So they did, you know, get behind in that and come back and win. But yeah, it, it is an encouraging sign. And even, you know, you talked about JQ's leadership being a big part of that run. I, I mean, it wasn't just his leadership. It was his on-the-court play. I believe once, you know, Alabama was down 17, he had the layup to cut it to 15, then made a three-pointer right after to cut it to 12. And then um, his, you know, technical foul, which is not obviously ever encouraged or necessarily a good thing. <laughs> um, and yeah. it ended up resulting in the ejection of other players because they crossed midcourt, but it did kind of spark the team and it, it was in the middle of that whole rally. And so, yeah, he's been huge for Alabama and shooting has been cold. Um, Brandon Miller's last game in Coleman, he finished with 17 points, but 10 of them came from the free throw line. He was just three of 12 from the field and one of six from three. Clowney was one of four from three and Amari was one of four from three. Um, Rowling Griffin was 0 of three from three. So, there's a lot of guys that have not been shooting it well lately, but we've seen this year when they do shoot it well, and we know what that capability is. We know what the ceiling is of this team. I mean, look, Vanderbilt upset Kentucky last night in Rupp and now has 10 wins in the SEC, and Alabama beat them twice. The second time they beat them, they almost won by 60. So that's when Alabama's <laughs> at its peak is when they're hitting all the threes. And, yeah. you know, you're not always going to have shooting games like that, but if they can get a little bit – more back to their average, which let's see what percentage they finished out last night shooting. Uh, 44% on the floor, 26% from the R in the arc. Yeah, so like not not great um, below their average, I would think. So if they can get back to their average, if some guys like like Brandon Miller, he was one for six from three last night, and then didn't he not make any against um... – Against Arkansas, or you want me to look that up? Because I have it right here. Um, He was one for six from three against Arkansas. Okay. Yeah, I mean, yeah, he hit one late because yeah, the whole team was struggling in that game, and then obviously yeah. he went off against um South Carolina and made a bunch in that game. But mm-hmm. uh, I believe in the Georgia game, didn't he not shoot well from that one either? I don't. Know I can look it up. The stat Give me just a second. Let's see. Um... Right, I'm looking at stat broadcasts, and I couldn't be looking at his individual stats. <laughs> um, 
Yeah, I'm doing that too. Is what I'm looking at. But um, while, while you're looking that up, Katie, though, I, I will um, I will highlight um, just the effort from Auburn. Um, it was not an easy game for Alabama. Bruce, as NATO said after the game, Bruce Pearl brought his team to play, and it seemed they were making remarkable shots, difficult shots, opposed shots, and they were still falling in. There was a point in the first half and early in the second half where it seemed like it didn't matter what Alabama did. The shot was going to go in for Auburn. Um, they had a remarkable effort. Katie Johnson finished the night with 21 points. Um, Alan Flanagan had 17. Um, Johnny Broom had um, 10. Um, Jalen Williams had 15. Um, if Auburn doesn't get into foul trouble early, I remember um, I think it was Flanagan, Broom, and Williams who all ended up fouling out. Um, all three of them had two fouls um, pretty early on in the first half. And I remember talking to our boss, Christopher Walsh, who was there. I leaned over to him and was said, "That's that could potentially come back to haunt them. Should Alabama find a way to get back in this? And it did. Um, Flanagan, Broom, and Williams all, like I said, ended up fouling out, which that was a huge – I mean, Bama had already jumped out ahead at that point, but that was a, a – that went a long way to Alabama being able to secure that momentum that they had. Um, but regardless of the foul situation, I know Bruce Pearl talked about after the game and was very disappointed um, in the officiating, but my argument against that, you'll hear me complain about officiating sometimes, but normally I don't just because you very, very, very rarely can you point to officiating as the reason you've lost a basketball game. And I will, I'm not saying that right now just because it's Auburn. I'm saying that in general. You'll hear me say this about Alabama sometimes too. Um, if if you sometimes yes officiating can be the reason a team loses a game but more often than not you know you could hit free throws better you could drive in the paint better um you cannot turn the ball over so much you can rebound the basketball better there are a lot of things you can do to avoid a loss um for auburn last night i think there were a couple of things they could have done better one of them being free throws you want to win a basketball game don't miss 11 free throws because if you hit even half of those if you hit six of those 11 you win the basketball game so um anyways get off my, my soapbox for that to go back and say really, really great effort from Auburn last night. Um, this team is a lot better than their record indicates. Um, they have been really good at being able to get up for big games. Um, Auburn arena still remains one of, if not the toughest place to play in the sec. Um, just kudos to them, what they were able to do. Um, they're, um, they really need to get a win. They have a big game against Tennessee this weekend. Um, if they are able to win and at least uh, this weekend and maybe win a couple of SEC tournament games, they can probably still make the, the NCAA tournament. But that being said, if they if they fall flat at Tennessee, or I don't, I don't know if that game's at home or away. In um, Auburn. In Auburn, okay. Auburn. If they fall flat against Tennessee and then they don't have a good outing in, in Nashville, then they might be NIT bound. So. But if they do make it to the NIT, watch out. This is a team that could definitely win that tournament. Um, if 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 shots fall for them like they did last night, <laughs> they can definitely make it. Pretty like that's, far. that's really going to happen again. Like Katie Johnson was on fire last. Let's see, he finished four or five from three, and he's been pretty horrific for them this year from three. So yeah, I mean, kudos to Auburn. Really. I went and looked it up. I don't know what I was thinking about the Georgia game. Brandon Miller was three of five. I was thinking the last Auburn game when he was over seven from three. So really in, in Alabama's two games against Auburn, he went one from 13, one for 13 from three, which, you know, that's, they did a much better job on anyone else um, on him than anyone else from beyond the arc. Uh, even though, you know, Wednesday night, he had some open shots that he doesn't miss very often that he, he just did. So, yeah, mm-hmm. Auburn definitely gave Alabama two of their best, um, you know, games this year. But I, I don't know. I mean, this isn't an Auburn podcast, so I don't really want to talk about them a lot. But I don't know <laughs> if they make it – if they end up in the NIT, really how well they do. Because you say they get up for the big games. That I mean, the game before Alabama, they got annihilated at Kentucky. So, um, <laughs> well, they, they're, they're going to get up for a game against Alabama. <laughs> There's a lot of shots, but you're right. You're just you're just taking away all my momentum. <laughs> yeah, I don't. I see your point, Joey, like and I say you're wrong. Really <laughs> I'm sorry. You go ahead. Sorry. Really, really, the difference for Auburn last night compared to the first game was that Alabama was was actually able to like somewhat limit Wendell Wendell Green, Wendell Green, however you say it. Um, yeah. unlike the first matchup. Uh, mm-hmm. But then Katie Johnson just went off last night for Auburn and was hitting all sorts of shots um, and giving the defense fits. 
Um, but yeah, it was a crazy game inside Coleman, and there's a lot of the commentary since the game's been. It's just really kind of showing where this rivalry is in the sport of basketball and how much basketball's grown in the state. Yeah. I've seen a lot of people tweet um, last night and this morning about how the the IBOB, you know, the Iron Bowl of basketball, it, is, it could be a more ferocious rivalry than the football rivalry now. Um, and that's I've seen that from both sides, not just Bama fans and not just Auburn fans. Um, is it as widespread as the Iron Bowl for football is? You know, is it as well-known? Absolutely not. But the dedicated basketball fans for both sides, it's definitely, in cons- it can definitely be a conversation that, the ferocity between those two fan bases is just as ferocious, if not more so. Um, but that'll about do it. Um, we really hope that you've list- enjoyed our, you know, not just me and Katie's conversation, but our interview with Patrick Murphy. Um, this will be coming out on Friday. Um, and hopefully, you know, next week, Alabama will be playing in the SEC tournament. Me and Katie will both be in Nashville covering it. And we will also have our podcast um, that will come out on Friday um, of the start of Alabama's journey in the SEC tournament. We will have a, uh, we still have to, um, tie down uh, <laughs> or secure our guests, but it will be basketball related guests. So um, hopefully you guys can stay tuned with us then. Um, thank you so much for being here, Katie. Um, once again, for Katie Wyndham, I am Joey Blackwell. Be sure to follow um, Bama Central on social media. Check us, check out our written work at BamaCentral.com. You can follow Katie on Twitter at Katie Wyndham underscore. You can follow myself at Blackwell Sports. Katie, anything else you would like to say before we, before we say goodbye? I don't think so, Joey. Just if you want to do a quick plug for or comment about baseball, they're still undefeated. Yeah, so yeah. Slam in the midweek. Yeah, well, yeah. You know what? I will say that right before we leave. Um, baseball so far is having a a remarkable season. So far, I mean, they are still in non conference play. They got a seventeen to three win over Jacksonville State on Tuesday night. Um, or Tuesday afternoon, excuse me, um, at the Joe. Um, so far, like I said, they are 9-0, and and I believe one, two, three, four, five, six of those nine wins have been, they, Alabama has recorded double-digit runs, and then uh, in their in their first game against High Point, they had nine, so almost double digits. So really um, solid offensive effort from Alabama so far. Um, tomorrow I will have a story about Garrett McMillan, um, who's a pitcher for Alabama, and Matt Gusetti. Uh, who knew each other um, before coming to Alabama and McMillan played a part in why um, he was able to come or and why Gussetti chose to come to Alabama. So stay tuned for that. But that'll about wrap it up. Um, thank you guys so much for listening to Crimson, the Crimson Corner podcast, a part of the All Things Bama podcast network. Thank you guys so much for listening and we will see you next week.